Amen. All right, well, in, in honor of mine and Sonda's 17th anniversary, I thought I'd tell you a, a Matt and Sonda story from uh, our dating days. Uh, we, uh, we hadn't been, we'd been dating, I guess, a few months, and, you know, things were going pretty good. I thought, hey, this, I really like this girl, and she hadn't run through the hills yet, you know, and so it's a good sign. And so uh, our family uh, has, a, has a ranch that's been really special to me, you know, growing up, working there as a little boy and learning a lot there. And so um, it was owned by a great aunt and uncle of mine. And so uh, I thought, well, we'll go, we'll go fishing, and, you know, I'll show her where I you know, used to fish growing up, and, you know, we'll have a picnic, it's going to be great, and all this, and, and so it, it, it wasn't as wet of a year as this year, but it had rained a lot, and so, uh, you know, took, we loaded up in the old truck, and we, we drove through one gate, second gate, third gate we drive through, we're in the middle of the place, we're far from anybody, and uh, my, my tires start to spin, and then they start to sink, and uh, me being the wise man that I am, I just kept doing what I was doing, you know, thinking that, if I just kept doing the same thing, I would get out of the mess that, that I was in. Don't we sometimes think that, that if I just keep doing what I'm doing, then I'm going to get out of doing what I was doing? You know, if, if I just keep doing the same behavior that got me here, that's probably going to get me out of it. But we see the flaw in that thinking, and yet we do it. And so by the time I, I said, Uncle, I was, my back tires were buried up to the, to the, to the gills, you know, I was embarrassed I was not happy, and I looked over at Sonda, and she had a big old smile on her face. I thought, this must be the one, you know. So we, we got our, 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 our fishing stuff. We walked through the rain and the mud, trudged through the mud. We fished a little while. We caught some fish, threw them back, and, you know, we had to walk back to the truck. And somehow the problem had not resolved itself in the time that we were gone. It's still, I got in, ooh, still stuck. And so that's, at that point, I had to, I could either forever keep doing what I was doing and, and until the whole truck was buried and we starved to death, or I could swallow my pride and ask for help. And so we walked the mile, mile and a half to my Uncle Doyle's house, and he was a man of few words, but I knock on the door, hey, we're, this is Sonda, my girlfriend, by the way, we're stuck, and, and he just, he, he didn't say anything, we just crammed in the little uh, truck, and, 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 and he drives us out, hook on with a chain, no words are said, um, and, and he just uh, hooks on and pulls us out, and you know, I sheepishly drive home, and, 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 uh, and, and, and that got me thinking about all the times in our lives where we get stuck, where maybe, uh, maybe we get stuck like in sin, and we think to ourselves, uh, if the sin that got me into, if I just keep on doing the sin that got me here, I bet that's going to get me out of here, and that's ludicrous, but sin is seductive, and sin makes us stupid. And often we get ourselves stuck, and we keep trying to do the same things that got us stuck, thinking they're going to get us unstuck, and they don't. And it's less funny than when me and Sonda got stuck. And so maybe think of a season in your life when you were stuck. Maybe you were stuck in sin. And um, if you can't think of a season, uh, let me, please mentor me, because I've got so many seasons I can think of. Um, Maybe that season for you is right now. Uh, maybe there's an addiction that you've got going on, and you thought, and you're thinking to yourself, just a few more pills, or you know, whatever, and 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 I'm going to get out of this thing. Maybe it's maybe it's lust, and, and and you're giving yourself over to lust over and over and over again. Maybe you're you're in some kind of uh, sexual relationship outside of uh, covenant marriage, and and you know that. Um, 
that you can't build a healthy relationship on a foundation of shame, but you just keep trying to do it anyway. Maybe, um, maybe it's pride, and, and it's just uh, arrogance is just pushing people away. And uh, I had a, have a good friend that shared a, an article about, uh, uh, about grumbling, and I thought, man, this is me. It's, I've been in a season where it's been so easy to grumble and complain and murmur, and, 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 uh, and maybe that's the thing that just you, you just keep doing it, and yet you're not feeling any better. Whatever flavor of sin we may be stuck in or we may have been stuck in at one time or we may get stuck in tomorrow um, I believe that true confession is the key to experiencing rescue from our true captivity what we're going to find in Daniel 9 is that Daniel prays this beautiful prayer of confession it's this beautiful prayer of repentance. It's this prayer uh, where, where we have an example in Daniel 9 of a person who really shows us what it means to have a broken heart and a broken spirit before God. And, and the setting here is that, uh, remember, Daniel uh, had, had, had been taken into exile, taken as a captive into Babylon when he was a teenager. Uh, God's word had said in the book of Deuteronomy, God had told his people, if you uh, chase idols and you, you worship false gods and you, you, you worship yourself, I'm going to eventually bring consequences to you. And those consequences are going to be, you're, you're, you're going to be defeated and you're going to be carried off into exile into a foreign place. And, and God isn't this kind of parent that just makes idle threats. Um, if he says something, he will do it. And so he, he, he gives us chances and he's patient, but he does what he says he's going to do. And so Deuteronomy said this would happen. Uh, man, lo and behold, here's Daniel, teenager. Nebuchadnezzar comes riding in with his army. He defeats Jerusalem and, and Daniel and his friends are, are taken captive. And a few years later, there's an uprising in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar's forces roll in again. They destroy the temple and leave the city in ruins. Um, and so here's Daniel. He spent his whole life in captivity in a foreign land. Uh, he's it's been almost 70 years now. And, and, uh, and he spent his whole life here living as a captive. And that captivity that Daniel lives in and that his, his people lived in, it's actually a shadow or it's a picture of, it points to the greater captivity that we've all lived under, and that's the captivity to sin. Uh, we've all experienced what it means to be a captive, to be a slave to sin. And that captivity of Daniel's people is a picture of that. And, and the true confession, I believe, is the key. Uh, to experiencing rescue from our true captivity. And so who, if, if you're a parent or if you had a parent, which I think should be almost everybody in the room, but um, it, it, who has had this said to you or who has said these words, you're not sorry for what you did, you're just sorry you got caught. Parents ever say that? You ever hear that from a parent? You're not sorry for what you did, you're just sorry you got caught. And the, the reality is that because we're all bent by sin, we're all bent by sin. We're all twisted by sin. There's something in us that is drawn to sin. There's something in us that is seduced easily by sin. Sin is a force that's more seductive and it's more powerful than we usually acknowledge. And often what happens is we overestimate our ability to resist sin and we underestimate God's ability to deliver us from sin. And so if we go into situations thinking that we're bulletproof, that's a great way to blow up our lives. And so sin is a seductive Force. And, and do you ever look at somebody else who gets in trouble, who messes up, and you think, man, how could they have done that? Well, if, 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 if that's our attitude, we have, a really, we have really underestimated 
the power of sin. Because sin makes us stupid. Sin is seductive. And sin leads us into situations that we never thought we would end up in. And it happens incrementally, slowly over time. When we persist in sin, God steady is trying to rescue us. He, he sends people to tell us the truth. He sent his word to tell us the truth. There's a still small voice that he speaks to us. But if we continue to persevere in sin, the only choice God has left to deliver us from our sin is to expose our sin. And God brings our sin into the light and he exposes it, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. But adults, our, 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 our sin, when our sin gets exposed, that doesn't feel like love, does it? That feels terrible. And it's really easy for us to be like children, and we're not sorry for what we did. We're just sorry we got caught. And, and it's easy for us as kids or as adults to want to maintain our image before people and before God. You know, have you ever found, like, if teachers in the room, have you ever found that you can, like, see a kid do something? And you're like, hey, don't do that. And they say, well, I didn't do that. Like, no, I literally just saw you do it. No, that wasn't me. That was, I don't know who did that. And you're like, I watched you with my, here's a video recording. No, that is, I have no idea who that person is. And, and yet, we do this. And we, we try to sugarcoat with one another and before God, like God saw the whole thing. He's holy, he's good, he's pure, and yet we still try to go into the presence of a holy God and say, well, you know, I mean, it was kind of really not a big deal. I mean, it's just kind of this is all that happened. Here's, here's why I did what I did. We're tempted to tell half-truths. We're tempted to minimize until we finally hurt bad enough to come clean. And man, when we come clean, there's such an opportunity for God to come in and heal us. And so in Daniel 9 today, we see how to pray when life is a mess. How to pray when life is a mess. And we see a, an example of true confession, true repentance, true contrition, true brokenness before God. And so the setting of Daniel 9, remember in Daniel 7, Daniel saw this vision of these four beasts, these four human kingdoms that are a in opposition to God. And then he saw this, the picture of one like a, this ancient of days who just exalted God, exalted on his throne, and one like a son of man who overcomes these beasts and is exalted to the right hand of, of the ancient of days, takes his place seated above all rule and authority. And we saw last week that that is a, that's a picture of Jesus destroying uh, the satanic powers and principalities in this world um, through his work of cross and resurrection. Daniel 8, there's more visionary material there Primarily about uh, the, the two kingdoms in the middle of the visions, the, the Persian kingdom and the Greek kingdom. And, 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 and the visions that Daniel saw there in chapter 8, uh, he, he was broken because he saw that there would, there would be people uh, in, in the upcoming years, there would be faithful people who would not be delivered from the lion's den. There would be people who would not be uh, delivered from the fiery furnace. And, 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 and we're told at the end of Daniel 8 that he says, I, Daniel, was overcome and I lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and I did not understand it. And so Daniel finds himself in this position of, I don't understand this word that God's given me and it's sad and my heart's broken and I'm sick over it. And then he gets up and he dusts himself off and he, and he goes about the business of the king. So that's kind of the setting um, that, that, that leads up to chapter 9. And so we begin chapter 9 
with basically Daniel's response to this vision that's shaken him and rattled him to his core. Chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, so Daniel has had this vision that made him sick. It was so graphic and painful. And so he goes, and his response is to search God's word. He goes and he finds the scrolls that Jeremiah had sent to the exiles in Babylon, and he opens up those scrolls, and he says, what does God's word say? And that's the first thing I'd like us to hear today, is that true confession is rooted in God's word. Daniel didn't know what to do. He didn't understand what was going on, and so what he did was he studied God's word. Jeremiah, the prophet, had sent these letters to the exiles in Babylon, and he told them that that the exile was going to last 70 years, and that's about the the length of of an average person's life. And so basically, Jeremiah had said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be grounded for a lifetime, and you're going to be in this exile in this foreign land for a lifetime. And now Daniel's doing the math and 70 years are almost up. He's in his 80s now and he looks around and people are just as messed up as they were 70 years ago. He says, man, we've been grounded for 70 years and we're still messed up. We're still doing our own thing. We haven't learned anything yet. And his heart is broken. Um, But Daniel starts with God's word. And so Daniel 9, Nehemiah 9, Ezra 9, I don't know what it is about chapter 9, but all those, Daniel, Nehemiah, and Ezra chapter 9 are all these lengthy prayers of confession. So you want to know how to to confess sin. Those are great passages to go to. But the first quality of true confession is that it's it's rooted in God's word. Um, You know, we play this game where if we want to stay in our sin, We'll go select the people we get advice from, and we'll talk to the people that'll tell us that what we're doing is okay. You ever play that game? It's like the guy who uh, is diabetic, and he just keeps going to a different doctor until he finds one that says, eat whatever you want. It's like the, the, the woman who's a, a drug addict that just keeps going to a doctor until somebody says, hey, here's a prescription. And we do this thing where we'll just keep going to people until we find somebody that tells us what we want to hear. And part of how we know that we have gone from sorry we got caught to sorrow over sin is that instead of just asking people's opinion, we go to God's word. When there's a hunger in our heart, when there is a desire, when there is a desperation for God's word, not just man's opinion, then something is happening in our heart and true sorrow is setting in. Daniel looks outside himself, outside of his circle of friends. He's looking for the truth, so he looks to God's word. Daniel just said at the end of Daniel 8, he didn't understand what was going on. You ever read God's word and find you don't understand it? Yes. Daniel didn't even understand some of what, was, of what he heard from God and what he read, but he went to God's word. When I started reading God's word, I did not understand it, okay? But there is the spirit, if you know Jesus, the spirit of God lives in you, and he will help you, and other believers will help you. But, but um, uh, God's word becomes core for us when we're moving from just sorry we got caught to true sorrow over our sin. Corey Ten Boom said, don't. Um, pray and don't read the scripture when you feel like it. Make an appointment with God and keep it. Make an appointment with God 
and keep it. Don't wait till you feel like it. All right, so Daniel, so Jeremiah had prophesied 70 years are going to pass. That happened in Jeremiah 25, also Jeremiah 29, that passage we all love. I know the plans they have for you. The verse right before that, Jeremiah said, exile is going to last 70 years. Deuteronomy, before that, it said, if you persevere in your sin, you're going you're gonna to get taken into exile. And, so, and so, so Daniel's here recognizing that what the people have walked through has been God's discipline. They've been grounded for 70 years, and he looks around and says, and we're still a mess. God's, uh, God's discipline for us. Uh, he disciplines us because he loves us. And so like exile for the people of Israel was like a cast on a broken bone. So if my kid has a broken leg and we go to the doctor and the doctor puts a cast on and says, hey, you got to have this. I don't know how long you wear a cast. you got to wear this for six weeks, let's say. And, uh, and, and, and Ava comes home and, and two days later says, I really don't like this cast. I say, okay, let's just take it off. Does that make me a good parent? That makes me a bad parent. I hate my child if I do that. I love my own comfort more than I love my child if I do that. And God is saying, I'm going to make you wear this cast for 70 years because that's how long it's going to take. 70 years almost in, Daniel is looking around and he's saying, we still don't get it. So how does he respond? He begins to confess his own sin and the sin of his people, and it starts with God's word. Second, true confession is wholehearted. Read verse 3. I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. None of that sounds comfortable. Fasting, sackcloth, wearing uncomfortable stuff, ashes on his head. He seeks God and pleads for mercy. True confession is wholehearted. It's easy to pray a generic, God forgive me for my sin. You know, I'm sure there's one in there somewhere. But Daniel is specific. He's concrete. You know, he's the most upright, faithful man in his generation. The most righteous man in his generation and he's so troubled by his own sin that he can't even eat. This is like the Apostle Paul saying that he considered himself the chief of sinners. He's specific about his sin. He's wholehearted. He's broken over his own sin and over the sin of his people. There's an urgency as Daniel confesses his sin. There's fervency. A part of being wholehearted with God is just being honest. You know, when I was locked up as a teenager for a year, there was, we had to learn these thinking errors. And I still remember these thinking errors. And when, and when somebody was doing one of these thinking errors, we were supposed to confront them. And some of those thinking errors were minimizing, downplaying, justifying, blaming, making excuses. Do any of those sound familiar? When we get before God or when we're talking about our struggle with one another, how often do we make excuses, blame, justify, downplay, minimize. It wasn't that big of a deal. I only did it because of this. And what Daniel does before God is he just gets honest about how ugly sin is. And if we will just do that, that's so much of the battle. You know, true confession happens when we stop lying and we get real. Jesus says the truth sets us free. What if you're only going to be as free as you are truthful? What if you're only going to be free to the degree that you are truthful with God and with your community. Does that prospect haunt you? In, in chapter 9, verse 8, here Daniel says, unto us belongs shame. Shame is that sense of exposure, that sense of, of, of being found out, seen as, as, as being unworthy and less than. And our culture has finally discovered the power of shame, and we're looking for ways to overcome our shame. And, and, and the thing about shame is it thrives in darkness. 
it thrives in secrecy. And that's why it's so important that when we confess to God, we confess specifically, we confess truly, and we also take that confession. I'm not talking about blasting it on Facebook so a few people can like and pat you on the back. I'm saying to a circle of people that you trust, take that confession and say, this is how I'm struggling now. True confession is key to experiencing rescue from our captivity. True confession is grounded in God's character. Look at verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God. I made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He starts with who God is. Just like Jesus tells us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We start not from a position of our own righteousness, but, but God, this is who you are. Uh, Daniel's reminding himself of who God is. He later goes on to describe God as merciful. He goes on to describe God as righteous. He says, God, because you're righteous, you've punished us. And because you're righteous, you're going to be faithful to deliver us. True confession. It's key to experiencing true freedom. Last thing, true confession is both personal and it's communal. Chapter 9, verse um, 20 while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Daniel is honest with God about his own sin and the sin of the people that he's a part of. Back up in verse 5, he says, We have sinned and done wrong. We have acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name. Uh, he, he uses this we, us, over and over and over again. Um, you know, if, if, if I was Daniel, or if you put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a minute, just imagine like you're the most faithful person of your generation. When you were a teenager, you refused to eat the king's food while, while most of your friends are just like gorging, like, man, these pork rinds are great. These are delicious. You don't want any of these? And, and you were faithful, and you did the right thing. And, and then years later, like, you get thrown into a pit of lions because you wouldn't stop praying. Like, you would feel like you paid your dues. And then you look around 70 years, you're in your 80s, and you're like, man, the people around me are still a mess. They're still a wreck. Like, wouldn't we want to distance ourselves from those people? And yet, what does Daniel do? He says, we are a mess. These are our sins. But, but we do this, I think we, we say, God, look, I'm not like these people. Or we might say, man, the church is so messed up. Like, oh, man, what, what a bunch of weirdos and they don't get it. I'm glad I'm not like them. That reminds us of the story that Jesus told in Matthew 18, or Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. He says, here's a parable. He told this to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. He says, two people went, two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing by himself and prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. The tax He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. Man, I go to Sunday school. I even serve. Whew. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Man, if I was Daniel, this is why I'm not, a, <laughs> that's why I'm not Daniel, because I would have been so tempted to just say, God, I'm not like these people. Don't lump me in with them. And yet he voluntarily lumps himself in with this pack of losers that just refuse to be faithful with God. And that's what it means to be an intercessor 
God, have mercy on us. It's what it means to be community. It's what it means to be family. It's what it means to be church. We bear each other's burdens, and he identifies with these people who are getting it wrong, and he says, Lord, help us. I, I have a lot of times somebody will come and say, man, my wife is a mess. Can you do anything about that? My husband's a mess. My parents are a mess. My kids are a mess. But when somebody walks in and says, I'm a mess, God can do something with I'm a mess. God can do something with, as a culture, we are a mess. He can do something with that. He can work with that. And that's what Daniel's saying. God, we're a mess. To us belongs open shame, but to you belongs glory just for your namesake. Will you deliver us? Will you rescue us? True confession is the key to experiencing rescue from our true captivity. N.T. Wright says, if we want to be Daniel 7 people who experience this exaltation with the Son of Man, then we've got to live a while in Daniel 9. We've got to live a while in this place of sorrowful, true confession of individual and corporate sin. And so, as we close, Jesus is better. Man, Daniel was phenomenal. He's a phenomenal example, but you know, we're told in Romans 8, verse 34, who is there to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He's the one who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Daniel was a picture of Christ. Daniel refuses to throw stones at his fellow people. He says, God, help us. We are a mess. And that's a picture of what Christ does right now. He is interceding for you. He is pulling for you. He is loving for you. Man, we can look at the church and how squabbly and petty the church can be and how desolate, this, this use word desolate that Daniel uses over and over again, it means to be, to be deserted. The church can seem like a deserted, desolate place. Where, where's the glory of God? Where's the fire? Where's the, where's the spirit of God moving? And, and yet, we pray for a desolate time and place and generation by doing what Daniel has done and saying, I'm part of the problem. God, heal me, rescue me, help us. And the gospel this points to is there's a better intercessor. There's one who's died for you, risen for you, and who intercedes for you. So now what do we do as the band comes up? Now what we do, the way to apply this message would be to confess. Confess your sin to God. Not a little bit, not a, not a sugar-coated version, but see sin for what it is. Call it what it is. Lay it at the feet of the cross. Take that confession and confess it to God, but also confess it to people that are in community with you. James 5.16 says, confess your sin to one another and you will be healed. Tell the truth about the condition of your heart and God swoops in to heal you and rescue you. What else do we confess? We confess Christ. We confess that he's the rescuer. He's the one who died. He's the one who raised. He's the one who intercedes. He's the Lord of your life. And so think with me for a minute. I'm not asking when you started going to church. I'm not asking uh, how, um, you, know, you know, when you walked an aisle, I'm asking, was there a point, has there been a point, a moment in your life where Christ became Lord, where Christ became boss, 
where your life began to revolve around him. Man, let's take time as we're singing. You don't even have to sing, but confess your sin to God. And if you haven't, confess Christ. All right? Not do you want to go to heaven or hell. We all want to go to heaven. I'm saying, will you confess that Christ is your Lord? And if, if it's time for you to take a next step, come down here while we sing and say, man, I, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to follow him in baptism. I want to repent of my sin. I want to commit to this church family. And, and guys, some of us are great at confessing, but confession leads to repentance. Confession is when I say, this is what I've done. Repentance is when I say, I'm not doing it anymore. By the grace of God, I'm going to trust him for the next few hours of my life. I'm not going to be a slave to this anymore. Confession is telling the truth. Repentance is breaking breaking with the sin. Let's stay.